0: And we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky—the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. It should come as no surprise, especially to longtime listeners, that I'm into some some pretty pretty crazy stuff—a little weird wild wacky you know you know the intro you just heard it so it should come as no surprise that we're going to talk about something that may require for some of you a small suspension of disbelief but i i implore you to keep an open mind because there are some fascinating nooks and crannies in the world that uh, are strange and unusual and unexplained And that doesn't mean you should dismiss them out of hand simply because they don't fit into your current paradigm. It may require you to shift your paradigm slightly to figure out how do these fit into reality. And I think this is one of those topics. I've always been kind of fascinated with the alien phenomenon. It just seems like a no-brainer that... Alien life, intelligent life exists everywhere in the galaxy. There's there's way too, in our galaxy specifically, but there's way too many galaxies in the universe that we know of for there not to be someone else out there. Uh, so th- that to me, that's a given. Now, are they traveling around? I don't know. I don't know. But, but it seems possible. So we have to go a couple steps further to get you to today, which is, are they visiting here? My guess is... You know, a lot like us. Look on our planet, we we find interesting forms of life across the planet. Things we've never found before. We kind of flock to it. We, you know, we'll take a pre. You know, we'll take a heretofore unknown species, like let's say the extremophiles that exist on on planet Earth, things that live at the bottom of the the Mariana Trench in the middle of the ocean, or in a volcano, then living in extreme heat. We want to figure out, well, how do they live under those extreme conditions? So we'll take them, we'll study them. Th- this is this is stuff we do all the time. It's not that surprising that that someone else, um, another race of beings who are capable of interplanetary, intergalactic travel, would want to see what makes what makes us tick? So I imagine they may grab a couple of samples and, uh, you know, run some tests and see what's doing. Um, That would be the abduction phenomenon. There's even a small sampling of those people, people who claim to have been taken by aliens, people not of this earth. There's a very small percentage who believe that there are small pieces, small devices, implants alien implants that have been put inside them for monitoring purposes or transmission purposes or control purposes, who knows? Uh, and that is the topic of today. We are going to talk with the alien hunter Daryl Sims, who's known. Uh, he was he kind of discovered this phenomenon uh, about how people have claimed to have these these alien implants, and he's removed several, and and has a collection. Um, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I met, I met Roger Lear, who Daryl trained, and he was kind of the alien implant guy. He was a surgeon, a foot doctor, a podiatrist who removes several of these things. So I don't know what they are. Uh, I don't know where they come from. I don't know if they're alien in origin, but it is a phenomenon that is unique, interesting, and fits into this world. And I want to learn more about it. So that is today's episode, and I am absolutely delighted to have Daryl Sims on the show, Alien Hunter. Daryl, thanks for being on the program today personally i've had an incredible interest in alien implants now i should tell you i'm an open minded skeptic so um you know i have a problem with that okay perfect so uh you know i think because you've done a lot of interviews and i've listened to quite a few so i don't want to hopefully we won't rehash a lot of stuff because people can find some of the basic stuff kind of anywhere but some of the stories i think are pretty interesting um incredibly interesting uh and i think that I want to walk through a little bit about your qualifications, who you are, what you do to kind of get people, you know, kind of on board with with who you are. Uh, So I should say, you're known as the alien hunter. How'd you come up with that name?
1: Uh, I didn't actually. I was in the middle of an interview in the early 1990s and a journalist listened to my story and she said, oh my God, you hunt them. Why, you're the alien hunter. Right. She was doing a story for Rendazzo's magazine, uh-huh. and the next uh, that month, uh, there was this blood red letter said "Alien Hunter" Daryl Sims, and an alien head on the front of the
0: magazine. So that's <laughs> where it came from. So, so you just adopted someone else's nickname for you. That's pretty good. Well,
1: they, they, it's, it it actually fit because I hunt them that hunted me when I was four, and I hunt those that hunted my son when he was six. Right. So, um, the 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 prey has now become
0: the predator. Well, now that's kind of interesting. So I got to ask you the question because, in truth, you know, if, if people are to believe that there is an extraterrestrial presence, aliens, and all that stuff, um, how I would ima- you know, you to accept that, you have to accept that they would be of of a much higher level of technological advancement. That would be kind of like saying, you know, the squirrel is hunting the, you know, the man, right? Like like you hunting an alien. No, no disrespect. I'm sure you're. No, a great none, job. none, taken. none um, taken. But it's pretty difficult to hunt aliens. I don't see any trophies on your wall, although with your green screen, I could easily stick some behind you. But you yeah, know what That's I mean? true. You know what I mean? No, that, I, I, I caught one the other day that he uh, was. Um, <laughs> what is that? I, is I that a phone?
1: <laughs> I so, uh, ran so fast, I tore the hide off of him.
0: So for the listening audience, you've just it, it held up. I thought it was a phone, but it's a dinosaur. Uh, looks like a, a dinosaur a, phone. But. A Little dinosaur head. <laughs> something my wife got me. She thought it would just be a riot. That is really funny. Hey, hey, don't deflect, sir. So how do you hunt the aliens? How are you hunting the people who should be hunting you? Well, first of
1: all, you, there are different ways of doing that. I'm an ex-cop and a uh, combat cop out of the Vietnam War. I spent two years in the Central Intelligence Agency and 40 years as a private investigator. So I've conducted uh, investigations about the alien. Uh, first of all, you can look for evidence in the stories that people tell you, see whether they're true or not. Mm-hmm. I teach whether, whether people are lying or telling the truth, and I do it on a college level. That's number one. So the interview is important. Second is I do handwriting analysis, so I can. If you have a propensity to lie or exaggerate this sort of thing, it's going to show up in your handwriting.
0: Now hold on, uh, so I, I do mean. To, so when you say hunt, you don't actually mean you don't go shooting after, you know, no, UFOs, and that you is, don't go tracking them right. down. And okay, okay, correct. Okay, that, so I guess that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to figure first,
1: out. Your first, your first your, the first methods that I, I began many years ago, and. Um, I've been uh, within 18 inches of the entity uh, several years ago, so I was within 18 inches of getting him. But the fact is that uh, I think, and again, I I need to go back, Uh, your premise that they all have to be smart and all that is not necessarily true. I mean, how many people were smarter than the Mayans or the Incas? You know, just because you conquered them and you had a gun, and swords doesn't mean that you are necessarily smarter. It just means you had bigger guns and bigger tech to get them with. Doesn't uh,
0: well, there, there's there's an implication that if you are technologically advanced, it requires intelligence to to do that. It it requires intelligence to go from the wheel to the automobile. Okay,
1: uh, true. But the fact is that it, based on the evidence that we've found over the years, including uh, some hints in DNA. Uh, there are seven primary models of these beings that show themselves that the that abductees and contactees report regularly, uh, such as uh, the little gray, the taller version of him that's uh, that's called often the surgeon or the boss or the doctor, that sort of thing. He looks just like him, but he's a lot smarter. He's got an IQ of about 140. The little guy's got an IQ of about um, 80, in my opinion. And uh, people say, well, how do you know that? Did you give him an IQ test? And I said, well, you can actually talk to smart people and you can talk to stupid people. Now, which one do you think you are?
0: <laughs> well, the, now that's it, true. <laughs> it doesn't
1: take a genius to figure out that you're talking to someone with a, a limited scope of ability or intelligence. The fact is that I'm not attacking the alien. I'm saying that some of these beings, these seven beings we're primarily looking at, are constructed and made for the purpose of interaction with mankind, in order to convince us they're aliens from other planets, there may be aliens from other planets out there. I don't think these seven are them.
0: Okay, now that's a great teaser. So now we're getting we, we, we jumped right into the weeds here. so Good luck. Let's, so let's More uh, people always do. So we're going to well, hopefully we're gonna end there. So let's go back a little bit. Um. So you've you've got quite a bit of training, you know. You've got a lot of um, a lot of bona fides. Um, one of the most impressive on your CV is that you received a certificate of appreciation from Women in Aviation. <laughs> what happened there? How'd you get that?
1: Interestingly enough, uh, they asked me to come do an alien presentation. Huh? And uh, it was about uh, they had to do with aviation, and they they see UFOs. They simply didn't want to tell. The world about it but they would love for me see i can come there and expose myself saying oh the aliens really exist look at all this great uh, aeronautics information i have and space information i have and i do but it's but it's available to anybody it's not like it's a gigantic secret and uh, they were just overwhelmed and they they gave me these accolades and certificates and all that
0: Wow, I would say in the air of me too. You don't want to say you exposed yourself to a group of women in aviation, but uh, I would say that no. But just you know, just a little uh, pro tip. Uh, so, it, it, did, and you also spoke in front of the the American Medical Association, uh, which I found pretty amazing. So there's a lot of interest in what you do. You know, it's funny when, when I first joined. It was MUFON LA at the time. They had they have tons of incredible um, presentations, and I actually got to meet Roger Lear, and I was hoping to. talk Tim him because alien implants has always been something kind of incredible to me, and and so this uh, is—it's always been an interest to me. And I think you know you're you're the guy, and you've got lots of evidence. Um, So when it comes to your qualifications, you—you've been a private investigator for for decades. Uh, what exactly do you do? Are you like a, um, like, do you do bounty hunting? I, I think I said that you do fugitive recovery, which seems like, uh, you know, the politically correct is, term of bounty hunting. That is
1: a correct, uh, that's a politically correct term for bounty hunting. Yes,
0: I do. So, you, so it's like Wild West style, man. Like, you go out and, like, dog the bounty hunter, or do you do it a little well, bit tasteful?
1: uh Well, uh, uh, Colbert's people came here one day and they were, Stephen I just Colbert. walked in. Yeah, yeah, and I just walked in. And uh, and I took my coat off, and they were just like their eyes were about this big around. Yeah, I was a big three fifty seven hanging under my uh, coat, right. and they're like, I said, uh, I just got in works, fellas. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to startle you here. Sure. And they were just they just didn't know what to say.
0: Yeah. So so you capture so I mean you go out and like you hold up the wanted poster in front of him, like bring him in, or how does that work?
1: Not exactly. I'm, I'm a little more surreptitious than that. <laughs> I don't want to get shot. You don't go in guns uh, blazing like the you have last somebody, guy Sam? went after. <laughs> the last guy I went after was on the on YouTube, yeah. and he was standing there like this with an AK-47.
0: Yeah, discretion is the better part of the uh, job. Yeah.
1: They they had a whole crew of uh, pri- uh, bounty hunters out of Conroe that wanted him, yeah. and they said we're not going after him. We're going to uh, everybody wants you FBI DEA said, we're calling U.S. Marshals to get him because we're not going to try to take that guy down. Wow. And they just said, I don't mean to de- degrade you or anything. I just, But you're just one guy, and we're younger than you, and a lot of us are bigger. And, yeah. And I said, "I said there isn't any three of you I can't take in here now. <laughs> and the guy said, talk to me. And I said, be glad to. I said, I have a fourth-degree black belt in the martial arts. Uh, and uh, I said, I actually earned it. And uh, the fact is, I said I'll take this guy down and never ever lift a finger.
0: Huh?
1: that you have to be smarter than the people you go after, and that's especially true of the alien.
0: Right? No, that's that's uh, that's exactly true. Um, so you so you you've got. Um you, so you've got martial arts training as a matter of fact that's what you so you worked for the CIA you were a covert operative now I've got a kind of a question about this so I mean no disrespect here when I say this but uh, so, so you worked for the CIA you had top secret clearance which has actually been downgraded I learned that by researching you is that you actually have to get downgraded after 10 years you can't maintain yeah, for 10
1: years that. yeah I published that
0: yeah yeah I and was- it's it's pretty interesting because I guess that makes sense because you can't have access to that type of information when you're not currently working for them. I guess that that makes sense, but you still have the well, secret clearance, right?
1: There, there's a reason for that. I didn't. I could have kept the top secret clearance if you upgrade. it, You go in and you get reviewed every few years, then you can keep doing that. Okay. And you can stay in the public sector and make a lot of money. I chose not to do that.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So, so, so you. You um, but you still you had top secret clearance, and you uh, and so you worked for the CIA. Now, were you in the field? Because I know you, you, you trained a lot of people in the CIA. You did um, uh, you know, you taught them guns, gun uh, weapons training, and also martial arts. Correct. That is correct. So, were you in the field, or were you were you like in the you know just training people? Okay,
1: they, no, but the place where I was located was a spy camp. Okay. and it's specific specifically for people who are called knocks a knock is a uh th- they are the actual p- spies and they're the ones that go in the field and do all this sort of thing got the oh seven types and all that that was not me i was simply a person uh there for the purpose of uh training uh, providing top secret security et cetera et cetera et cetera got it,
0: got it. so you are heard- not
1: a spy everybody in the ufo community wants me to be a spy And make up this big whopping story of I knew all the UFO secrets, I met the aliens, that's just not true. Not a word of it true.
0: No, that's fine. I I mean, it was more, I was thinking to myself that if you're, you know, like the people who say those types of things, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because you were essentially, you were a teacher for the spies. You weren't actually out in the field. Like you were teaching them stuff, survival skills.
1: They had also. You got to understand. They had families, mm-hmm. and there were other people there, military and other people. So I was a. I, I was available to a lot of different people.
0: Right, right, right. Because you, you were. Um. So, you, so you worked in the CIA. You were a bodyguard for Vice President Spiro Agnew in Korea as well.
1: No, no. Okay, that's. Let me clarify that. Okay. There was a military contingent. While yeah. I was in Korea. Yeah. And we were assigned to Vice President Agnew. In that regard, I was a, a part of an elite group that. Uh, but he has Secret Service and his own crew. He had three flying—we call them bordellos. They—they right. they look like the bright red carpet inside. Three helicopters that were his. So right, whatever that means. I don't know what it means.
0: So that was like his entourage, and you were like his entourage's entourage. That's pretty much it Is that from a right? military
1: military point. You got to understand the North Koreans on two occasions attacked. The president of South Korea, 1968 and 1971, when I was there. Right. They sent 50 assassins at a time down to kill him. Wow. And I guarded the North Korean major that jumped out of a building and shattered his knees. We captured him. And I guarded, uh, guarded him. The reason they wanted me to, because I had the top tier clearance right. and I had this mysterious background nobody nobody knew anything about. <laughs> right. And they're like, wow. Oh, you know, and so they had me hiding out. But the North Koreans knew where he was at all the time, because they attacked Inchon Harbor, which is a this six miles away from us, and they were killing people, police boxers and everything else, all the way up to where I was at. So they finally stopped them before they got to us, wow. but they were right on the way to where I was at. They knew where he was at. Holy no one else did, but they knew. Their intelligence was as good as ours. Wow, that's
0: incredible. I mean, that, that's a really fun story, because, you know, you talk to most people now, they don't even know who Spiro Agnew was. Um and, and he's, he's such a cool part of history because he was, you know, for those who are listening who don't know, he's the guy, he was Nixon's vice president who got kicked out of office so that when Nixon resigned... Um, uh, Gerald Ford came in and wasn't even elected, which is (laughs) which is incredible, you know. Um, and that's the guy you were pretending or you were protecting, uh, so people know who have an idea who that was. So, so you you've been kind of in it. You 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 worked for the um the military police. So you've been uh, you've been around. You've seen some stuff, I should say. Um, so that's, it gives you a lot of qualifications for what you do. Um, and that's kind of the background, but, but that doesn't quite explain how, like, you know, the question I'm sure everybody's asking, who, you know, and, and I know you've mentioned this in other interviews as well, but, but I, how you got into the whole alien scene, it's kind of an interesting jump because right now you kind of work on the the scientific side, the, the, the medicine, you work with a lot of doctors and you work on the medicine side, which is such a huge jump from the... You know the law enforcement side, which is really your background. Um, how how did you make how did you get into the alien world, and then how did you make that jump to from law enforcement to to That's a big question. I just realized as I'm saying it. Um, let's start with how you got into how you got into aliens in the first place.
1: Well, the way I got into the alien phenomena was I was a captive audience at age four. 1952, the entity was in my room. I I I, want to say woke up but that's not the right term I was like switched on and I realized something's wrong and I sat up in my little bed and realized this entity's walking way toward the wall I think the little guy's going to bump into the wall because I mean why would you be walking toward a wall and it's cold it's freezing it's winter time and I've got all these covers on and uh, I said this to myself you know he's going to bump into the wall, who is he, and all that, and uh, that was in my mind, I was thinking that, and it was apparently like he heard me mentally, because he turned around instantly and looked at me, and I heard him say, and I heard it in my head, which I'd never heard anything like this before, and I heard in my head him speak and say, it's awake, and that's what started the encounter, him trying to make me forget, so that uh, I would have to a bad dream and all that but it wasn't a bad dream it was it was uh, him uh, doing some type of mind control to try to get me to
0: think that it, it didn't exist but he did exist so just so I can make people understand this is kind of the genesis the origin of your quest whether you kind of knew it or not you're only four years old but but this contact with with another being uh, th- this this really sent you down the path uh, to really collecting evidence of, of human contact with, with aliens. And, and this is incredible. And I should also point out that you have amassed, you know, this encounter culminated in you having, owning the largest collection of human alien contact evidence on the planet which is pretty incredible, Uh, and hopefully, you know, we're going to be, uh, you know, I didn't know this before I started our, before I I booked you on the show, but we're going to be, we're going to have competing panels at Contact in the Desert uh, this year, which is going to be incredible, so um, afterwards, I'm going to stop by, and hopefully you'll have time, I'd love to shoot some video of this, because you've got quite a collection um, in there, which includes the you know, which includes the DNA evidence you you've collected, skin samples and um, sonograms, and you have X-rays, MRIs, forensic traces, all this stuff. You've got tons of this stuff you've collected. But one of the things you know, the specific thing that that I'm particularly interested in are this this concept of alien implants, which is kind of your specialty. Um, you know, I, I I I think correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of pioneered the field. Um, I don't know if discovery is the right word. I don't know how you kind of. You know kind of learned about alien implants and how you went about went about removing them, but that's kind of the thing you're known for um l- let us talk about that because this is absolutely fascinating to me um how did you first i mean i don't even know the correct terminology i how did you first hear about discover you know what i mean how how did you come about that information
1: well my uh experiences i had uh, approximately ten uh contact experiences with the so-called alien whatever they are Mm -hmm. uh, from age four to age 17 during that 13 year period i had about 10 contacts after that i had uh, the last event was quite violent and since then i've had no contact whatsoever however my son ended up uh, having a contact at age six and that's what turned me from a victim so to speak to the the hunter i if you you mess with me I can live with it. I'm a big guy I'll figure it out but you mess with my children and I don't care who you are or who you think you are whether you're from another planet or dimension or where you think you're from uh, I'll hunt you down if I can but the bottom line to the real question that you asked is when how did I discover the implant phenomena and so on for my own self at age 12 I was taken in one of these events and uh and I was placed on a, a table with my feet elevated about 11 degrees and a very bright light over me. And the same entity that showed up on my very first event was there again. And he's not that intelligent, but the guy next to him that looked very similar to him, but taller, was real smart. And he's the guy that does the cutting on you, so to speak, if it's going to be done.
0: Okay. So, so, so you, you, you had an implant put in or, or you had procedures performed on you?
1: Well, they, they they, took a large needle-like device about 11, 10, 11 inches long, rammed it up my nasal passage, broke the bones, and did not use any anesthesia. I was screaming on the table. Jeez. It wasn't a bad dream. In fact, uh, when I got back to my bed, there was blood all over the pillow. My mother accused me, said, were you picking your nose or something? I said, uh, yeah. Good, I didn't. I've never. My mother's eighty nearly 89 years old. And she just found out that I was an abductee. She said, well, why did you never tell us? I said, because of that goofy looking boo Radley look on your face right now. I didn't want to see that when I was four or any other age. Four through I, 17. Just don't, I just don't care. I just yeah. don't care. It does. It, it, I know the event was real, but the, the kicker of the thing to me is not, you know, you said, well, it was a bad dream. You just made that all up. Or you, you think it happened. When I went to the VA hospital on two occasions, I had evidence proven to me by them. They have no idea about me other than my medical record, right? And they found that uh, that I had uh, surgical work done in my nasal passage, and there is absolutely no history of me ever being to an ENT prior to this ENT.
0: And so, when you say when you say work done, so so, so the when when they put the thing up your nose, then they repaired your nose.
1: Well, they, they 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 broke the bones and everything. I don't know what else they did. I don't know if it hurt a what, but he was uh, he was looking. I was thinking about going in for a throat surgery just for uh, for uh, you know just to have tonsils removed, and he just said, "Well, I want to look at everything." So he looks at my nose and everything, and he jumps back and he says, When in the world did the surgery in your nasal passage?" He said, "In between, in your nasal septum, in the middle here, yeah. someone has cut a large hole." Completely in the inside of your nasal septum. And it's not something you can do by yourself, so to speak. Right. And he said, I want to know who did the surgery. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And, of course, I did. But uh, I just left it at that. But he said, well, you've had a surgery.
0: Wow. I mean, there Before are definitely people who have who have put a hole in their septum from drugs. I'm not suggesting you did. There are ways uh, to put a hole in your well, septum. Well, again,
1: that's a, there, that, that's a, that's a, that's a reasonable uh, question that one could ask. But uh, when you're in a VA hospital, they check you every month that you go in for any kind of if I was on pot or anything. I've never I don't even drink, uh, but I am thirsty, by the way. Right, right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but I don't drink alcohol, never have and just no interest. And I don't mind people who do, but I just have no interest in it. I just but so they've tested me for drugs for everything. And I told the NT that I said, I said, if I was on drugs of any kind, I said, you would have caught it. He said, we certainly would have. He said, I assure you
0: that. That's, I mean, because this is kind of – so, so let, me just, let me just say this really quick. So you, so you had an implant, correct, put in your nasal passage, right? Okay. So, so that's what's – I mean, this is kind of about this phenomenon that, that kind of like short circuits my brain is that we're, you're, you're, we're clearly dealing with people. I know you said that they're not that intelligent, but I, that I – these people – Only one of them. Okay. Okay. Only so- one time. So as, as a group, I think it's pretty understandable that if they exist, if they are visiting, and if what you're saying is true, um, then they would have to be incredibly intelligent. Now, that being the case, there are so many different, like with a lot of these stories, there's so many different things that are like super advanced, like the implants themselves. Um, but then like the procedure to put it in you, is it's something that like – like, Dr. Nick from the Simpsons would do, you know, it's like, it's like the worst doctor in the world, just cramming it up in your nasal cavity. It's, you know, there, there, you know, when I did an interview with Linda Moulton Howe about, um, about cattle mutilations and, and if, if what, if that is true, the types of procedures that are being done, which are bloodless, which seem to be done with lasers that don't leave a scar, if they have access to this type of advanced medical procedures, why not use that? Why cram it up your nose with an 11-inch needle, which is something we would do here? Uh, that, that's kind of like where, what my what's hard for me to wrap my head around. Does that make sense?
1: Sure. Uh, there was a guy that called me uh, years ago after I first told the story, and he said, yeah, me too. And I said, I don't, I just, I'm an ex-cop. When I put the cop hat on, I don't believe much of anything. You have to prove it. So, uh he told me he about the same procedure, j- described the same thing. And I said, uh, it sounds like to me, like you read my story and you just, he sent me his x-ray in, and it was done in 1960 during the time that I had my procedure, that so-called alien implant. And up his na he described the same thing, a large needle-like device. He went behind the eye and I said, that's where the pain was actually hurt. And he, he's got, still has the silver spear, Behind his eye, located in his brain, I said, did you, did you tell the doctors? He said, no. I said, don't tell, don't mention alien, don't mention implants. Let them spend the money and try to figure out how that thing got there uh, without, uh, without the spatter effect, so to speak. Like, uh, uh, For instance, like people go to Vietnam and this sort of thing, uh, they get near a hand grenade and it goes off and a, a shrapnel or something gets inside of them. This was located right next to his brain, right behind his eye, the exact same place I described mine. And he gave me his x-ray to use, so it's
0: remarkable. I mean, it's incredible because, I mean, it begs a lot of questions, which are, you know, what is this for? How did it get in there? I mean, even if it was shrapnel, you would have scars. Um, I mean, someone's going to know if they got hit in the face with shrapnel. And it's on their brain. Uh, I mean, there are incredible stories about people who have railroad spikes that go through their head. Um, but you know, they know the railroad spike went through their heads. Sure. So, um, you know, having a piece of metal by your brain isn't necessarily a, a death sentence, but it's, it's, ve- it's very odd. Um, and, and, and you, so so you, did you have yours removed? No, uh, they
1: came back later and, and took it out themselves. Hmm. And, uh, why I don't know. I have no idea why they put it in to begin with. I mean, I can only survive. I've conducted 25 surgeries, uh, the last one being in India two years ago. Mm-hmm. And in these we found some rather remarkable things. Uh, and I clearly want to state to your audience that alien implants are extremely rare and everybody you talk to, that's had a UFO experience, thinks they have one. That is simply not true. They're very rare. Uh, the majority of the, the when you, you see these x-rays and so on, they are not, the artifacts are often not alien in any sense of the word. But uh, I just want to make that clear to the audience. I do not think that everybody running around out there that's seen a UFO has got an alien. It's just not true. I have right. looked at hundreds of x-rays every year, and I've got a cardiovascular surgeon and a brain surgeon that was at one of our last surgeries in Santa Monica. And they looked at it and said, what do you think this thing in this guy's leg? And I mean, there's a magnet stuck on the guy's leg. And I said, he's a mechanic. He crawls around on the ground all the time. Mm-hmm. It's probably... a, a, a low grade iron, but and it, that's it. He said, what do you think we, and the brain surgeon concurred. He said, I think you're right. And, uh, the thing looked like a triangle, looked like the AOL symbol, it had a, 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 a white ball in the middle of it. Hmm. This triangle, it looked really, I call it the AOL implant. And, uh, but I, I knew it was metallic. It was nothing. It just, and we did, I said, let's go ahead and remove it. Cause if we don't, then, People will claim, oh, there's a conspiracy. You only want to go after the stuff that you... I said, I, I'm not here to, to promote anything. I'm here to look for evidence. Whatever we find is whatever it is. And I said, we need negatives and positives on our on our work. So we went ahead and removed the object. I sent the device, whatever it was, the metal, out to Scotland for a, a, a specialist there to look at. And he sent back the report. And I said, talk to me. Quit using all this... We, I, People want to know what it was. Don't I, the science? I'll, I get that, but what is it? he said? Low grade iron. That, that's exactly what we
0: suspected from the beginning. Hmm. So, so this wasn't. Is this was just a
1: no? Just a, the guy. Where he's a mechanic, he crawls around the ground. However, the same guy yeah. has got seven scoop marks in a row, right down, right down his leg, and uh, these are from contact with the alien. They will often often leave a scoop mark, a uh, scooped out area on the skin. And uh, at first, it doesn't mean everybody's got a scooped out area on their body that that automatically is an alien scoop mark. But the ones that we have looked at uh, have been characterized by a high-intensity ultraviolet light, uh, referred to sometimes as solar elastosis. So it's interesting. It doesn't prove, quote-unquote, aliens did that. But we do have abductees who actually show a little device, pencil-like device, uh, that actually does that and they said a bright flash comes out of it at the end so is that that's not proof but it's it's indication that someone has got a pretty elaborate story to uh, to correspond with the wound that they have
0: so so this particular guy just so to understand this correctly so he he had regular iron in his leg that he thought was an implant but that same individual had seven scoop marks on his back that may have been legitimate we think that he, his
1: experiences are quite real. And when he finally found something that was metallic, he said, of course, the first I thing see. that people think, oh, my God, it's an implant. Well, not necessarily, because the implants that we have studied, the first two surgeries that I did, uh, that I conducted, uh, were in uh, Camarillo. And uh, seven that's through 18 scientists uh, under Bob Bigelow, under the uh, uh, Bigelow Foundation, which is a guy who is in the aerospace industry. and In fact, the 20-some million dollars was given to him and his crew to uh, study aliens and this sort of thing, by the way. Uh, they unanimously agreed to look at the objects that we had removed in these two surgeries. And I did it only under the condition that there would be a blinded study and no one can know what they're looking at other than the, the material itself, the metals or whatever. They agreed to that and Los Alamos looked at the objects and did a uh, quantitative analysis, they did a qualitative analysis at New Mexico Tech, so everyone without knowing what this was determined that they were rare meteorites, lamellar, needle-like projections a quarter inch long from rare meteorites, and they want to know where in the world would you get these meteorites, these are extremely rare, Where? how did you come by these? Of course I never would tell them, I, mean, it's not, I don't want anybody to know, I want the science. I don't want an opinion. The biology surrounding the objects, we think comes from the scoop mark of the individual themselves and it was wrapped, it covered, or wrapped, made a little cocoon around the objects so that the body would not recognize that these were, so the body wouldn't have an inflammatory response, either chronic or acute. Right,
0: right. Now that, that's really interesting because one of the, probably one of the most fascinating things maybe that made me really like, really cock my eyebrow at this is when, um, I think it was Roger, Dr. Roger Lear, um, w- would talk about how, when he would try to remove them, they would seem to move away from him, they had some sort of locomotion, they didn't want to be pulled out, they had some sort of, um, a- a is the wrong word, but, like, some ability to avoid removal, um, which sounds like science fiction, but it is very intriguing as a, as a concept.
1: Well, there are two things I can say about it. Number one is, uh, I was his mentor, and when I first brought the the information to another individual who introduced me to him, uh, and it was a lady who had three objects in her foot, and he said, "Well, that looks like a oste- uh, you know a surgical clips from an osteotomy." I said, "That's exactly what I thought." Problem is, there's no medical history of a previous surgery, but there is an, there is a history of uh, alien involvement, and there are multiple witnesses, several families, as a matter of fact. And I said, so it intrigues me, and uh, he said, why don't you take him out? I said, well, I need a podiatrist to do that, and that's what you are. You're a foot doctor. And he said, I'll do that, and then we got another NMD to remove the one from the hand uh, because we had a second person that had an object in the back of his hand. And these are the objects that turned out to be meteoric in origin, and according to Los Alamos, New Mexico Tech, were absolutely, uh, well, they're, they're rare meteorites. That's all there is to it. The question is, how do you get rare meteorites in somebody wrapped in a their own surface skin, which we suspect came from the scoop, and uh, so that the body wouldn't even recognize. It. To, let me put this in context. A Nobel laureate came to me one time, and he said, Mr. Sims, if you can develop the non-inflammatory response that you found around these implants, if that can be replicated in a laboratory, you may have a Nobel laureate find right now because organ donor rejection could be a thing of the past and I asked him I said what pharmaceutical lab would you suggest that I could trust to send these to and he laughed and said not one I said I was born in Texas and I was born at (laughs) night but it wasn't last night
0: I think I'll just Keep the evidence until I'm comfortable with who I'm working with. So, so, just so I understand this correctly, so what you're saying is that these, the these um, devices, these pieces of metal, are wrapped in a biological sheath. Now, has that sheath been tested, and does that does the DNA from that sheath match the person that the thing came from?
1: We we know that the the that the substance uh, is comes from the individuals. Uh, it. it I made four predictions when I spoke to these, uh, an AMA-sponsored program to these 250 surgeons in John Muir Medical Hospital One before the surgeries ever occurred. And the year before the surgeries, I made several predictions. One of them, if the objects are plaque or alien, that you're looking at on, on these x-rays, if they're alien, there will be non, a no inflammatory response. It'll be wrapped in a biological containment. There'll be nerve cells apparent and attached to this uh, nerve supply, and uh, the biology will be not be native to that part of the body. Well, needless to say, 247 of them sit there and just like okay, right, whatever. Three of them came on board to uh, work with us. They they loved what I said. The first surgery, the first two surgeries, we took. The first thing we did is I take I took the uh, the biological samples to a pathologist. And he said, well, he said, uh, well, that's obviously an a, a inflammatory response, something like if you get a metal or anything or splinter in you, your body's going to attack it, cover it, coat it. If you can't remove it, it's going to isolate it from the body. Right. That's called an inflammatory response. That did not happen. He said, there are no inflammatory cells present. He said, where did you find this? And I said, we found it next to the bone deep inside the body. He said, that's impossible. And that didn't happen. I said, "Well, we've got 17 witnesses, two doctors, and a lawyer, and our film people present." And I did hypnotic anesthesia. He said, "I don't care if God was there; it didn't happen. It can't happen. This material is keratinous." He said, "That's the surface skin, your fingernails, or your hair. Hmm.
0: Hmm. There is
1: no such thing as a biological material wrapped around anything next to the bone. It didn't happen. It can't happen." He kept me very obtuse about that. But uh, that, which I, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Impossible! It shouldn't happen. Couldn't be there, and yet it was. And we had it all on the film.
0: I mean, so so before we get it, because I want to find out what you think these things are for. You've, you've removed several. They've got very strange properties. Um, so the question I wanted to go back to is, how did you make this jump? You, you clearly are deep into the medical and the science aspect of it. You've got lots of people on board. Now, I know you, you are not a doctor, uh, but you've got several people, uh, medical professionals, on board with you, especially after all the presentation you've given. But how did you personally make that jump to kind of make that the drive of your mission?
1: Well, actually, uh, implants are only one of several things that I've discovered about the alien. Uh, It's a big thing because when you do surgery on someone, come back and you have 17, 18 scientists, independent of the UFO world, so to speak, uh, want to spend $22,000 just for a study at Los Alamos, New Mexico Tech, it kind of raises people's antenna a little bit. So my jump from there was that uh, there's evidence on people. People come back from these so-called abduction events with sometimes missing They scoop marks or missing sections of skin, missing Uh, various different things happen. I mean, even surgically that it it just, it's impossible from our standards. And uh, also knew that there were things they left on people. If when there's physical touch, uh, the alien will often leave a, think of it as alien sweat for lack of a better term, but whatever the, the substance is that penetrates the skin subdermally on contact uh, and we've got about, uh, about 15 samples of this so far. And, uh, one of my uh, doctor buddies in, uh, he's in China right now. He's on about a half a dozen top medical boards around the world. And he said, some of the tests you need to be done to that, Darrell, he said, are quite expensive. And I said, like how much? And he said, uh, some of the tests that I think you need to be done, need to be done under run about $14,000 a piece. Wow. So uh, that slows my boat down a little bit because I pay for all the stuff out of my pocket. It's pretty pricey. And your audience needs to know that um, they can donate at daryl sims. This is a philanthropic effort. I never uh-huh. charge any of these people anything. No one's ever paid for their own surgeries. I get doctors volunteer, I beg, borrow, or practically steal to get get these things done. It's philanthropic because I think that everybody ought to know the truth about what's going on. Whatever that is,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, what I like about this, I mean, because even human skin has and in, in, has oil on it. So anytime you touch something, um, you know, you you leave a, a mark. And so so this, it may sound a lot, pretty far fetched to some people. I happen to think it's pretty intriguing. Um, that I don't know because I think you do alien fluores- fluorescence, You've kind of investigated that, which I'm not sure about that because if I touch the wall, you can't use a black light to find that specifically. I don't think. Um,
1: okay, it's the substance that comes from the alien that fluoresces.
0: But, but it would be similar, but I'm just making an analogy, that it would be similar to, like, your, your hand oil. Like, everyone has oil on their hand. So, essentially, it would be... I like.
1: So, lots of things fluoresce. Uh, if, right. If a woman's got makeup on, they, there's a, often an oil base in the, in the makeup. That will fluoresce. This stuff, whatever it is, when they touch you, it leaves, like, three long fingers, as an example, and an opposing thumb, maybe, that may be around your wrist. That will show up either in a form of visible bruising where they literally held you down, or sometimes this fluorescence shows up, which is, again, interesting. It doesn't prove anything, but the tech indicates we need to look further into what's going on here. So the bottom line is that this stuff, and I tell people, if you can wash it off, get it off, don't call me. This stuff you can't get off. It it will uh, penetrate the skin subdermally on contact. You can't get it off. And usually, if it's a woman... Uh, when they see this on their hand, would well, hit it with a black light, and the first thing they do is run to the bathroom, they start scrubbing, and they remind me of a rape victim. They start crying, and they'll, they keep, what is that? And the harder you scrub, the brighter it gets. You won't get it off. The body will finally absorb it within a, a day or two days' time.
0: I mean, that that's bananas. Uh, I mean, it's weird to think that, that this substance would, would basically penetrate the first two layers of skin. Uh, and then stay there like a tattoo almost. I mean, it's essentially at, like, tattoo level. Uh, that's that's bizarre. I mean, I didn't really... I've, I've never heard about this until I started doing a little bit of well, research. Well, I discovered it in
1: 1992. Uh, that's when it actually... When I started looking for... Uh, I was finding all kinds of evidence on people, and we found some... Uh, again, I, I, I suspected the implant thing because of my own case, but I didn't consider my case valid because, number one, I couldn't prove that that happened because where's the evidence? I mean, when you're four years old, you don't, in 1952, you don't go get an x-ray. I mean, that just, forget that. And uh, nobody knew what an alien was back then anyway. Nobody had a clue. Uh, But now there's all kinds of tech and things that are available for people to check things. So that's what we're doing. And again, it's philanthropic, we're not, we're not
0: making money out of this. It's, it's, we just want to find out what's going on. So, so where did your drive to follow that path go? Just, just to get answers? Is that why you jumped to science to medical?
1: Not really. My, my interest uh, from a policing background and from uh, these other skills that I have uh, is to bring all of that for the use in the UFO community because a lot of people were not um, – and I mean this kindly – Um, you, you can't, you can't take a cop and put a UFO guy next to him. The cop has done kidnappings, murder, investigations and everything else and put them together and say, Oh, they're identical. They're not. Uh, I guess the real difference between me and other people that are investigators is they're, they're out looking for the aliens, so to speak, and the stories with a computer, a pencil and paper, this sort of thing and a camera. I'm looking for the pilots. I want, to, I want to actually catch them, and I think that's doable. I think that happened actually in 1947 in the Roswell incident, and uh, doesn't matter how they got caught. Well, the ship crashed or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. The fact is somebody got the body.
0: You know, and that's. Uh, I did an episode with Stanton Friedman about Roswell. He changed my mind. The late, great Stanton Friedman, um, he was Friend incredible. Yeah, he was unbelievable. I did it. I mean he changed my whole mind on that and uh, I'm pretty skeptical on things but he is uh he he was incredible Um, And I think, you know, I think there's something there, you know, but it begs the question, right? So when I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking if if people aren't on board with this, you know, you're essentially what you do, or at least alien implants, you know, I won't necessarily put it on you, but alien implants, it requires several layers of belief, which is difficult for someone who's not already a believer, right? So you have to, you have to A, believe that there's aliens, which is a big jump for people or extraterrestrial presence. That's a huge jump. Okay, so that's number one. So, you know, with a lot of stuff coming out in the news, I mean, you know, the Pentagon just admitted to, um, you know, having UFO tracking, blah, blah, blah. Surprise. So, right. I mean, so, so, so anyway, it's making mainstream news. So what that means is a lot of people who wouldn't normally give this any thought are now all of a sudden thinking like, oh, this is really interesting. So... Level one is not as difficult to attain as it used to be, okay? We can admit that. So the second, the second level to that is you have to, you have to believe that they are abducting people or doing tests on people or contacting people. Um, so that's number two, which can be, that's, and that's way more difficult for people to believe. And then the third thing, that, that, that basically the implants are suggesting is that there's a third level and that not only are they performing medical procedures, but they are leaving devices in people for whatever purpose, you know, we have to leave that up to the imagination. It's difficult. It's really difficult to get people like down that, that ladder. Um, so how would you, like, if you're talking to someone who is, doesn't believe this at all, um, but has an open mind about it, how do you, why, why would they believe this? Well, a good example uh, for this, I was at uh, Hallam University
1: in England. Uh, in fact, I'll be in three countries uh, in September and October. Uh, but it, When I was at Hallam University, I had a display set up, and a guy walked by and says, that's a bunch of BS. And I said, you must be a psychic. And I'm a scientist. I said, no, you're a psychic. No, I'm a scientist. I said, no, you're a psychic, because only a psychic can look at a, all kinds of evidence and say it's no good, it's va- not valid, it's unreal, you automatically know all the answers and you haven't looked at any scientific evidence. If you were a scientist, you would have said, where's the science? And I would have said, okay, I've got 400 pages over here of information you might be interested in. You never asked that question. I said, you never ask who did the studies. Uh, you never asked me, "Does any have you ever had it peer reviewed? Uh, only by the Royal Society of Chemical Engineers. So it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It kind of matters what a lot of these scientists think. It's what they're finding. That's the. It's like saying, I don't believe in cancer, yet this new doctor finds uh, a new kind of cancer and he starts operating to be, well, I'm not sure I want to believe in that. It really doesn't matter what you think. If if you end up with a cancer, you're going to buy it anyway. So it doesn't matter. You're going to be looking for the doctor that knows how to take care of that cancer, not the doctor who doesn't believe it exists.
0: Right, right. No, that's. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you know, you you do. That's kind of one of the cool things about what you do is it is a lot of incredibly researched, you know, top level people who aren't necessarily in the states. Um, which I think gives it that, especially if it's in you know London, Scotland, and places where where they they already have the reputation, but they may not be tainted by um, you know you you are less subject to scrutiny if you send it abroad as you mentioned than if you keep it in the states, which makes a lot of sense. So so we're going to pretend that that you have convinced me we're on the third level, so that we believe that these implants exist. Um, you know a lot of the stuff that you're saying. We're going to pretend that this is, um, for the sake of argument, we're going to say that that's all legitimate. What in the world, or out of this world, would these things be used for? If if people are are if if another alien race are putting devices into people, do is there any speculation on what it what it's for? I mean, are they monitoring? You know, you know, um, you know, vital signs. You know, I know there's a lot of in the UFO literature. Is it genetically related? Is it monitoring during DNA? What what's going on here? There's got to be a reason for it.
1: Uh, there there are possibilities, and we and we look at these. Uh, one of them reported by some abductees that uh, they have altered levels of neurotransmitters. As one uh, pharmacologist told me, she said, Mister Sims if the information you have given me here is accurate, whoever controls your neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, potassium, this sort of thing, should that's they own you. They decide where you're happy, sad, glad, or suicidal. You, it's nothing. They literally run your show, and I said that is true. And uh, one of the doctor, okay, one of the universities, and I like universities, and I like sending the stuff everywhere from I like different universities because I want everyone's opinion from different, and they better have the same science, so to speak. If you do the same test at one university, you better come up with the same results on the same material. Otherwise, I I don't trust you at that point. Because the the science has got to be consistent, and that's what I look for. Well, one uh, uh, little girl had uh, four little tiny spheres the size of pinheads in her nasal passage, and she told her mother, said, there, these little men with the large black eyes came into my room. And the mother said, my daughter doesn't lie about anything. I said, that's fine. I said, well, and she sent them to me. And I, I, I sent them off to uh, York University under the care of Nick, Dr. Nick Malakis. And uh, he had a, a, a senior uh, metallurgist, not some assistant, uh, a tenure professor, because uh, that's what I want. And I don't, I don't tell him it's alien. I don't care. I just want to know what you find. And he looks at him and he says, he called him. And he says, he said, uh, these look like little tiny moons. He said, they're about the size of pinheads. They got like little craters all over them. And it's really fascinating. He said, the second time I talked to him, he says, what do you think they use these things for? And I said, well, I don't know. Right. I would be guessing. I don't know. I wasn't there. I said, but if, if we weren't use the word medication, which I don't think is an accurate description, but if you wanted to put medication or something, a substance like that, on these objects, as small as they were, and you placed them inside the nasal passage, the the little craters would hold in the so it would disperse it over a time period, and it would eventually wear off whatever it was, and you would sneeze these things out, and you'd never they're so small you'd never even notice them. The only reason the mother noticed them is because I told her to have the little girl sneeze over and over into a Kleenex and see if they would find anything, and they did. And he did the analysis on these little spheres. We found four of them on two different occasions in the little girl's nose, eight total. And we found they're 49% gold and 51% silver. That is interesting, but it doesn't prove anything to me yet. What I want to know are the isotopic ratios of each of the two metals. That's our next test. The isotopic ratios give us like a phone number, so to speak, of where the metals come from. From Earth or somewhere else. So what'd you find? I have, you, ha, waiting for your check. <laughs> All this leave out of my pocket. Okay. Uh, I pay for it as I can. Out And like I said, it's philanthropic effort. I don't... <laughs> you stop the sentence,
0: back. that's why. It's I,
1: like, don't, I don't beg people for money. I don't... If people want to do that, fine. But I, I'm, I'm not a. i am not ai just do this on my own, and uh, and we eventually we'll find somebody will listen to this. It'll be a metallurgist, and they'll say, "I'm interested.
0: Uh, send it to me." And i uh, we will. Now, I would just the way you ended the sentence, I thought there was going to be. I thought I was waiting for the suspense. So, what is it? Because you, you had me. Um, because I mean, that's that's a really interesting uh, test to do. So, so, so basically what what I'm understanding is that these these implants they don't appear to be any kind of complex technology it's it's they're just metal isotopes and 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 various rare 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 metals there's no like circuitry or, or gadgetry or, or anything well, like
1: that that's uh, we're, we're we're making a, a guess, literally it, what we found in the first implant the first three, was they conducted a, a special microscope at Los Alamos and inside the microscope they made a little containment device on it. The containment they fired a laser at the implants, which were like quarter inch long, very small, about the size of a thick as a, a thick needle, quarter inch long, and they would fire this laser and it would capture the gas that came off of the implant. And then they would they would analyze the gas in that little chamber. Uh, and what they found is 11 different elements, again, which made no sense to them. Why would 11 different elements be on a rare meteorite from outer space? These elements are like, I mean, elements from here. Why would they be on a rare meteorite? They didn't know that it was also wrapped in a, in a cocoon that was physically impossible to be inside the human body. They don't know any of that. I didn't tell anybody. I don't want anybody to know. I just want the science. That's all I care about. So we it's easier to probably ask answer the question, not what implants are for, but what they're not. What they're not, they're not transponders, they're not they're not tracking devices. If that were true, how'd they find you to begin with? The fact is that uh, the statistics that we run on a lot of these abductees, got got over 2,000 cases worldwide, we found that 45% of these people taken are Native American, Indian, Irish, and Celtic. 45%. That's pretty bizarre. Thir- uh, a third of these people have, uh, in one study we did, which was a pretty small study years ago, a third of the people had a rare drug allergy to procaine, xylocaine, lidocaine, novocaine, and so on. And... Uh, if you go to your, one of my abductees was a was was my senior investigator as well. He was an engineer. He went to his doctor, and the doctor said, well, you've got a, a hematoma in your eye. We're going to put that. He said, that's a procaine, isn't it? And he said, yeah, we put it on your eye to relax it. He said, I'm allergic to procaine. He said, Dale, that's so rare, we don't even check for it. Wow. And as soon as he put the procaine on David's Dale's eye, he fell over in coma. This is called lawsuit stuff. He just told you not to do it, and you did. And he told you he was allergic to it, and you didn't pay any attention to it. Nobody got sued, but that's not the point. These procaine allergies are very, very rare. Nobody checks for that, and nobody really believes it. But the fact is, up to a third of the people that we had interviewed and worked with in these abduction scenarios had this rare drug allergy to procaines. Uh,
0: It's... I mean there's so many weird elements to this because you know because basically th- everything in and of itself doesn't really it doesn't mean anything right I and mean, it doesn't really necessarily make sense you know so like the fact that a third of people have an allergy to what is it pro procaine it'd be
1: equivalent to out of every ten astronauts joined the astronaut program a third three of them are gonna have a rare drug allergy to a to some rare drug it's just not going to happen, right? The, an actuarial for that just doesn't exist.
0: No, I, 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 and it's it's just it's bizarre because it's it's statistically significant, which is what you're saying, right? So, that's and, all I'm and, saying. yeah, but I mean that's it's interesting, you know. But it doesn't make sense. I mean, is there? I mean, is there some kind of genetic link between people who have this particular allergy and and what they're what you know if p- aliens are monitoring them or testing them or putting implants in them? Is there? There must be some level of correlation. Um, or it means absolutely nothing and it's the weirdest coincidence it's, in the world. Is but, that a
1: question or is that a... I, I, no,
0: it's it's me pondering it all because there's like, there's there's a, you know, because everything we're talking about is, it's it's not significant in and of itself, but it, it's the, you know, the, the the whole of the parts, you know, is greater than the sum, you know, the the interesting aspects of it are when you start putting all this stuff together, it's just, it, it, you know, there, there aren't any answers. It's not like, you know, Let you... Me- you're not going to know what these things are for, but it is interesting to know what they're not for, and who who is not being taken, and who is, and it's mm-hmm. all just very interesting. But you know,
1: let's go to big picture real quick.
0: Okay, let's zoom out.
1: Hey, um, zoom out, and let's uh, anybody that that wants to know. If you don't want to know, then you just might as well turn your turn it off. You know, so no, don't big. turn it off. Don't listen if to you do, this. If don't you turn this. Do off. want to know? then what you need to do is start going out to a NASA site and look in the uh, rings of Saturn. One of the scientists, one of the top scientists at NASA wrote a remarkable book called Ringmakers of Saturn. And you go to the Internet and click on it, you'll actually find the book. It's free. Uh, And he wrote, he said, there are UFOs there that are huge in the rings of Saturn. They're already there. Uh, Case in point, he made that statement he still worked for NASA for a long period of time. He finally retired. And I think he passed away now, but he wrote the book. And uh, the fact is, if you're looking for UFOs, if you want to find, if you want to find it, uh, in uh, scientific data, in the, the and I'll give you another good example. Uh, a man came to me after a presentation I did in Los Angeles. He looked at me and he said. Uh, I had noticed in your presentation you look for visible evidence on people who claim to be abductees, I said yes. He said, but you also look in the infrared, ultraviolet, and x-ray levels. Why? And I said, because there's evidence there. He said, why in the infrared and, and the ultraviolet? I said, because if they touch you, they leave a trace on you, it seems. And I said, the infrared. I said, and he looked at me and he said, wait a minute. I said, let me ask you a question. Why are you asking me all this stuff outside the conference, away from everybody? He said, I have a top-secret clearance. I said, okay. He said, I work for DSP. I said, that's the Defense Systems Program. Those are 18 geosynchronous satellites roving around the Earth, pointing all their little eyes at us. And he said, yeah, all three eyes. The first eye is visible light, second is infra- infrared, and the third one is fluorescent. It's infra- it's uh, ultraviolet. I said, do you mean like a cattle that were mutilated have been pre-marked with fluorescence, you could spot that from Uh, space and he said exactly I said you knew about mad cow disease when no one else knew about it he said that's correct he said we could see the heat signature of the cattle was five degrees hotter than they should have been we've known about mad cow for a long time I said a lot of things DSP knows about that they haven't told everybody I said you ever seen a UFO in the DSP systems and he said there is no such thing as a flying saucer or UFO He said, there are only fast walkers and slow walkers, and if you don't use those terms, no one's ever going to talk to you. And I said, if you found a fast or a slow walker, is there any on DSP, uh, uh, on your logs? And he said, thousands of them. He said, I am a DSP satellite specialist, and I'd like to work with you privately. He showed me some of the logs, and I like fell over. United States government can prove any abduction case if they wanted to. All I got to do is go get the DSP logs, and it shows the UFO right there, wherever you claim. If your event's real, and there's a UFO there, that it's called a slow walker. It slowed down. It stopped. That's why they call it slow walker.
0: Wow, it's funny that they use the same terminology on <laughs> from The Walking Dead uh, when they talk about zombies. That's very interesting to me. Um, that that's that's remarkable. I mean, that is, I mean, it's that's like not, a game changer it, for you.
1: It's not it, there. If I told you some of the scientists that had come to me privately and talked to me about this stuff, and it, it, it's not, this is not just a local housewife or carpenter, or whomever. It felt like he got abducted by an alien or whatever. Three NASA, three NASA engineers from three of my abductees.
0: That's insane. So two questions, really quickly. Have you ever had two of have you ever removed two of the same type of implant? Yes. Okay. That so so that that's 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 incredibly significant. The second question, and this is more the mad scientist version, have you ever taken those implants and either reinserted them or put them into somebody else?
1: Great question. I was on the way back from the first surgeries, first two surgeries on the airplane. I was sitting next to a guy. And uh, he says, uh, "Hello, my name's so and so." I said, "Well, great." He says, "What are you?" <laughs> I'm like, "Why do? You, why are we talking?" I mean, I just came back. I just came. I've got these implants in in my pocket.
0: And he was says, that, "Was that where you keep them
1: in your pocket?" I, I had them in a containment in my in my. I wanted it on my on person. your person, not right? <laughs> right. Not, not gonna happen. Won't make it through uh, security. It, it's. Um, Anyway, he says, uh, why are you there? And I said, you want to have a little fun? He said, sure. So I, I let him have the whole alien phenomena, but from a, from a medical point of view. And he said, fascinating. He said, I'm a scientist. And that's what kind. And he told me and, and I later met him and spent some time with him. And uh, he said, you know what you need to do? You need to reinstall those devices in somebody. I said, did you have someone in mind? He smiled. And said, "I certainly do." I said, "You want to volunteer?" And I said, "We've actually considered that, but it'll probably be an animal." And uh, first of all, I said, "We don't know enough about this stuff yet. We we haven't even had it tested. We don't know anything. We don't know what signatures they particularly have, if any. We don't know what ping. You know, we got to ping them where the what rings the bell. One of the tests we want to do now is to go to a independent university." take all these objects and have scientists use different devices to see if we can get a signature out of any of these or a series of them. Then we want to bring some people that I have that have, uh, in my opinion, bona fide implants in them to the university and see if we can activate those same signatures in these people in situ before they're ever removed. I want to do all this testing. There's a lot of, a lot of things I want to do that just, so it's not like we found something weird, so therefore it must be alien or whatever. I don't think like that. I'm. You, I, look, if you go to you go to court like that in a in a murder case and and you you find a a a ball from that's used uh, a a lead ball from a a shot during the Civil War and claim that's the the nine millimeter that shot the guy, you're never going to get anywhere in court. That's never going to happen. You have to be able to build a case, and that's what we want to do. But I want to do it through the science and the medical field, not through the quote-unquote ufological field. If you come to me and say, oh, I think I've been abducted by aliens, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing I can do about that.
0: So why? <laughs> You're the where, alien hunter. You should do something about where it.
1: Where is the evidence? Right. I want to know where the evidence is at
0: yeah I mean it's it's pretty incredible stuff i mean it's it's it, like I mentioned before, you kind of short circuited my brain you caught you caught me, you called me out on it. uh there's lots of weird parts to this whole thing um it's it's very strange but but it's it's very intriguing. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know that anyone knows the answer, but it, it is very interesting. Um, so you're going to stick around. We're going to get we're going to get a little weird uh, for for ten minutes. Um, but but how can people get in touch with you? How can they learn more about you? How can they contact you so that you can become a contactee from them? Uh, where do people find you? All I got to do is go to
1: alienhunter.org. Okay. Alienhunter.org, and you can click on Alien Hunter, and it'll automatically email me. I answer all my emails. It uh, may be a while because I do travel quite a bit. I'll be a contact in the desert, of course, and uh, doing some presentations there in a workshop. And, uh, and then on top of that, uh, ap- shortly after that, I go to Washington State, then to the United Kingdom, then to Costanza, Italy for a week, and then to Gobekli Tepli and uh, some other locations to uh, hopefully collect some DNA.
0: That's incredible. So, like I said, we, we're both going to be at Contact in the Desert. I think everyone's heard everything you have to say. So, I would not recommend going to come see me. Don't go. See, I'm just kidding, Daryl. Uh, I'm
1: just going to cancel <laughs> yours anyway because so you can come to your
0: mine. I'm, I'm waiting for them to cancel mine as well. So, I think I might so I'll be in the front row. But nonetheless, I'm going to find you. We're going to do some video. I'll put it up after Contact in the Desert. I'm really interested to see this stuff. Uh, Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night fascinating nouns is a glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me daniel j glenn the show producer for this episode was sarah brandt The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design, written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Go to FascinatingNouns.com to learn more about today's episode and to listen to every episode that I have. Links at the top of the page for previous episodes, previous guests, and you can even follow a newsletter and learn more about upcoming shows and behind-the-scenes stuff. And if you love social media... We got you covered there. Bottom of the page, you'll find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube pages. Bottom of the fascinating nouns, web page. And please, if you like the show, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and tune in. Always appreciate the listens. Share, tell your friends. That's how we grow. And and I'd love to get the message of the show out there because hopefully we can continue making these shows into perpetuity. And if you like this show, you're going to love my latest podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. We take a team of experts and tell you how to make your favorite pop culture technology. Uh, we talk about portable holes from from the Looney Tunes episodes, how can you make your own portable hole, the T-1000, we've got the Everlasting Gobstopper, um, Spider-Man's web shooters. If you want to swing through the city like Spider-Man, we tell you how to do that. FGGBT.com That's FGGBT.com. One more time for the triple f triple G, go there check it out and if you like those shows you're gonna like everything that I do please go to danieljglint.com thank you for listening end of transmission